Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So we are beginning a new series. It's going to be actually just a two, short two-week series, um, Love and Hate. And um, the reason for this is, is if you any relationship that you're a part of, in any relationship that you want to be a part of, you want to know a little bit more about the other person. Specifically, you want to know what things they love and what things they hate. Because you want to know what they love so you can do more of those kinds of things. And you want to know what they hate so you can do less of those kinds of things. And, and that's the whole idea behind it. There are some things that God loves. There are some things that God hates. Next week, we're going to talk about hate. Today, we're talking about love. <laughs> and I thought the best way to kind of start this off is, since we all have things that we both love and hate, I could just do a little quick poll this morning on a couple of things. What do you love? What do you hate? Now, here's one of the things in our family. My wife loves Brussels sprouts. I hate Brussels sprouts, and it is her life mission to somehow get me to try and admit that I like Brussels sprouts. She, she serves them all kinds of different ways. She goes, oh, this one you'll really, really like. I hate Brussels sprouts. Now, how many, how many love Brussels sprouts? Oh, you poor deluded people. What is wrong with you? How many say, I hate Brussels sprouts, don't ever put them on my plate? Yeah, now you're talking, okay? Now, see, we got the opposites because I love pineapple upside-down cake. Can I get an amen? Yeah. My wife hates pineapple. How could anybody hate pineapple upside-down cake? Anybody here? I thought not. See, well, there's a few of you, okay. The great, great stuff. How could anybody hate that? Um, We have different tastes in, in music, too, by the way. My wife loves Country. No! She is like, if it ain't country, it ain't music. And I'm like, I don't want to hear another song about somebody whose dog died, whose wife left him and took off on a train. I don't care. How many country music lovers? Oh, I'm in the wrong church. What's up? We'll do an exorcism after this. No, I'm kidding. How many would say, no way, don't, give me that old-time rock and roll. Yeah, okay, now we're talking. All right. Um, sports. Okay, okay, here we go. How many are lovers of the Giants? woo World champion San Francisco Giants. Okay. How many are fans, lo- I won't even say love, are fans of the A's? Okay, there's a few. We'll allow it. We'll allow it. How many love both? Oh, there's actually a few. You surprised me. It's like you, it's either one or the other in my camp. I don't know. You can't do both. I don't know. There are certain things we love. There are certain things we hate. And the same is true with God. There are things God's love, God loves. There are things God hates. We love to hear about the love of God, but there are some things that he hates. And next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. This morning, we're just going to talk about love. And we're going to be looking at a, um, a letter from one of Jesus' disciples, one of the, one of the cl- three closest of his disciples. His name was John. And he spent three years um, living and working with and learning from Jesus. And he saw the love of Christ displayed over and over and over again. And, and so much so that he, he kind of made it his life mission to understand the love of God. And in fact, when you read his gospel, how often he talks about when, God, when Jesus talked about the love of God. You find that theme over and over again. In fact, he refers to himself as the disciple Jesus loved. Not because he was better than anybody else. He just understood that his whole being 
was wrapped up in being loved by God. And it became so important to him that he actually wrote three letters to churches later on. At the back of your Bibles, uh, the back of the New Testament, if you want to turn there, we're going to look at the first letter of John. And if you don't have a Bible, we've got some extras on the seats nearby. Feel free to grab one of those. Um, and this is a lot. He talks a lot about and writes a lot about the love of God. So we're going to start at 1 John chapter 3, if you want to turn there. Beginning in verse 1. He writes, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. All who have this hope in Him purify themselves, just as He is pure. Then you want to turn over a page, 1 John 4, beginning verse 7. So he writes, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. And this is how we know that we live in Him and He in us. He has given us of His Spirit and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. John writes, God is love. Love isn't something that he does. Something it's, it's who he is. It's his very essence and character. It is love. So what does that mean for us? John has some real specific things about that. How does it affect you and me to know that God is love? It's nice to say, yeah, God is love. He's a loving God. That's all great. But what does that mean for you and me? And there's some things that John points out, I think, that's very, very helpful in understanding this whole idea of love. And the first is this, that you can't be loved without being changed. See, that's what God's love does. It changes you. God's love gives worth and value to what's loved. Here's what he writes. He's writing about the great love that the Father has lavished on us. He says, so now we are children of God. And what we will be, see, there's some, it's, it's leading us somewhere. What we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. He's saying, because we are loved by God, it's going to change us. We have, when we have fully embraced and live in the love and grace of God, it can't help but change us because that's what love does. See, there are two different types of love. There is a love that is attracted to the lovely, to the lovable, to the beautiful, to the attractive. That's the kind of love we are used to. But there is another kind of love that actually brings value, brings worth, and makes someone Lovely. I've officiated hundreds of weddings 
by this point in my, in my life in ministry. And I will tell you, if every, every wedding that I have been to, every wedding I've been to, when the bride comes down the aisle, she is radiant, just gorgeous. It doesn't matter how ugly she is in real, in real life, but <laughs> I'm sorry. But seriously, and in fact, that's what we say all the time. Wasn't the bride radiant? Nobody says that about the groom, by the way. Have you noticed that? Wasn't he radiant? No. But so, you know what? It's actually a physiological thing. When we are loved, it, 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 it increases our heart rate. It's actually physiological, that, which, which increases the blood flow, which makes the cheeks a little rosier and the lips more luscious and full and red. And, and dilates the pupils of our eyes so that our eyes look larger. We actually look better when we are in love, which might explain. No, I'm not even going to go there. <laughs> but it's true. God has created our bodies in such a way that we respond to love. And so it is true in our spirits and our souls. When we understand and fully grasp how it is that God truly loves us, it changes us. It's, it's life transformational. When you grasp that and when you take that in and, you, and you, you, you fully embrace it and make it your life, it changes you. Now, that is not the kind of love that we are more used to, that first kind of love, the love that is attracted to the attractive, that loves the lovely and the lovable. And that's not God's love. John said there's a different kind of love. There's a love that makes us beautiful. Most of us, sadly, have experienced the first kind of love. Most of us, even growing up, probably did not get as much love as we would like because you can never get more, enough love. And a lot of times what we do is if, we're not, if our parents are, because they're human, if they're incapable of loving us in a truly unconditional way and, and making that known to us on a daily basis, we, we start looking for something else which is called approval. And because that's the kind of love that we are constantly on the search for, when it comes to God, it makes it so difficult to believe that God would truly love me just the way that I am. And so many people spend most of their life trying to get God's approval, thinking that's the same thing in His love as His love. And the truth is, He already loves us. He already loves us. If we will embrace His love, He gives us a new identity. He says, we now become His children, children of God. And because we have a new identity, it changes our destiny. All who have this hope in Him, hope in Him, meaning Jesus, purify themselves just as He is pure. Do you remember we, we just finished the whole series through the book of Luke? And I don't know if you can remember all the way back to September when we went through the, um, Jesus' beginning of His ministry. Before He healed a single person, before He preached a single sermon, before He gave a single teaching, He went and was baptized. And you remember what happened as He came out of the water it says that the Spirit of God came on him like, like a dove descending on him. And a voice came from heaven. And do you remember what the voice said? It was the voice of God saying, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Long before he did anything, the Father affirmed his love. And that's what John is doing here. Saying, God is affirming his love for you. And it's not something that you have to earn or deserve. 
He already loves you if you will let him. Quit trying to earn his approval. Instead, sit back and receive his love. Receive his mercy. Receive his grace. Because that's what will truly change you. That's what will change you. See, love is the best motivation for change. Now, you can change people temporarily with guilt, with shame, with condemnation. You can get people to respond for a time. But that will only last for as long as they feel guilty. True transformation doesn't come by shame, guilt, or condemnation. Although, although all too often in the church, that's what we portray. And when we talk about changing the way people view the church, it means learning to love like God loves. And instead of trying to use guilt and manipulation and, and, and condemnation and shame to get people to change, people need to know that there's a God who loves them. That's what John is saying. That's what's going to change everything. He says, there is no fear in love because perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And if we're going to change the way people view the church, we need to let them see the love of God and be a little less condemning, punishing. Because that's the love of God. That's the love of God. You can't help but being changed when God loves you, when you understand how much he loves you, when you receive his love and embrace his love, it will change your life. Now, that doesn't mean he likes everything you do. Okay? Even your mama didn't do that. But he won't stop loving you. And we'll talk about that a little bit more next week. But for now, I just want you to hear this. If you hear nothing else today, I want you to know there is a God who loves you. And he will change your life if you'll embrace his love. But there's more to it. John goes on. Now he says, we can't love God, though, without loving people. He puts those two together. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The primary way that love of God is expressed all throughout the New Testament is by loving other people. In fact, all throughout Scripture. Jesus said it over and over again, and and we say it a lot around here, but I think it just bears repeating because we need to be reminded of this all the time. Jesus connected the two greatest commandments into one, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And John is just repeating that very same thing. In fact, he takes it a step further. He says, whoever does not love does not even know God because God is love. And if we're going to be wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ, if we're going to be wholehearted in this love of God, then part of what that means is that we've got to learn how to love people. And God has this way of bringing unlovable people into our lives. Do you notice that? Difficult people? I mean, I probably... We have difficult people in our lives. There are people who are irritating that are bothersome, that they just kind of get on your nerves, or they're constantly demanding, they're challenging, they are the difficult people in your life. How many have at least one difficult person in your life? Okay, come on, be honest. Yeah, and if it'll make you feel any better, you are somebody else's difficult person. (laughs) You might find that hard to believe, but that difficult person might be sitting in this very room. (laughs) Because we're different. But the truth is we don't understand love until we love the way God loves, which is loving the difficult people. 
the unlovely people. See, God loves people who love him, but he also loves people who don't love him. He loves people who are lovable, but he also loves people who are not very lovable. And he says the only way you understand his love is when you put it into practice into your life. And the only way you can truly love God is to love other people. George Bernard Shaw, I love this story, was at a dinner party. And uh, talk about difficult people. And uh, he ended up seated next to this other person who was like a know-it-all, just knew everything, just was a bore. And he just went on and on and on about how much he knew and everything. And, and at finally, at one point in the conversation, George Bernard Shaw said, I said, well, I guess between the two of us, we must know everything. <laughs> and the man looked at him and said, well, what do you mean by that? And he says, well, you seem to know everything except the fact that you were a bore. And I know that. <laughs> so between us, we know just about everything. You probably have some of those difficult people in your life, and they are the hardest people in the world to love. But what John is saying is you don't understand love until you love the unlovely. But see, that's the change that God's love brings in us. When we begin to understand that we are loved, not because we're lovely, but because God simply loves, it begins to change our own hearts. And when we get into our brain and into our hearts deep enough, they'll start changing the way we look at other people. I learned something not too long ago. I went, uh, had to go pick up some things, ran, run an errand, and, uh, and I ended up in a line um, behind somebody. And, and, and I was in a hurry, okay, which it seems like I'm always in a hurry. But I was in a hurry. I had to run a few, grab a few quick things, got in line, got in line behind this little old lady who decided to pay for her things with a check. Does anybody still write checks today? You know how long it takes somebody to write a check? And then, and then, this made it worse. She had to record her check in the check registry. And I'm just like, I am just fuming. And I would have gone into the self-checkout line, but I hate those things. Because they always keep telling me there's something in your, ba- in your bag area. And I put it in the bag area and it says, take it out of the bag area. And I take it out and I say, you remove something from the bag area. And I go, I know I did. <laughs> and I'm just so frustrated because I am out of options and I'm stuck behind this person. And here's what I learned. Other people do not create your attitude. They just reveal it. <laughs> Problem was not with her problem with me see that's the thing when you begin to see with God's eyes when you begin to understand his love for you when you begin to understand you are not that lovely but he loves you anyway you can be a little more accepting a little more loving of other people that's the transformation that his love makes in us I gotta read I heard this story this week and I actually asked the person to write it up and send it to me in an email just a powerful powerful story on good friday I received a very unexpected text. It was from a person I run into around town who hasn't treated me very well in the past when we run into each other. Mean looks, whispering and staring, etc. I've always wondered why she treated me badly since I couldn't think of anything I've ever done wrong to her. The text simply said to give her a call. I texted back, said that she must have the wrong number, knowing that for whatever reason, this person doesn't care for me very much. She insisted, texted back, no, it's important, please call me. I waited a bit and decided to call. She, she answered 
And after some awkward seconds, she asked, Do you believe in God? Surprised, I said, Yes, very much. She replied that she also believed in God and she was calling to apologize for the way that she had treated me all these years. She recognized I had never done anything wrong to her and didn't deserve the mean looks, whispering, or stares. She expressed her hope that things could be different and that the past was the past. We've recently run into each other and the tension and discomfort had been, that had been the norm is now gone. And the PS to that story is that other person also attends Northgate. And I'll tell you as a pastor, when you hear stories like that inside, you just go, yes. <laughs> yeah. Because it's a difficult thing to admit when you've treated somebody wrong for no reason. It's a difficult thing to apologize and ask forgiveness. And it's not even an easy thing to give forgiveness in those situations. But that's what's supposed to happen in the body of Christ. That's what the love of Christ does when we are tuned into it. Paul wrote, if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And I think the answer to that for most of us is because it's easier. (laughs) It's easier to love God who you can't see than it is to love somebody you can. Which is, no, 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 you don't understand. Because if you can't love the people that you can see, those difficult people, then you don't really understand how little you love God. Because they're the same. They're one and the same. And one more thing. And it has to do with the idea. So what does it mean to love somebody? Loving someone simply means this. It means being for them. To love somebody is to be for them. It's to want the best for them. It's to bring out the best in them. It's to to do it in such a way that you would rather see them succeed than even yourself. And that's the challenge of love. That's the challenge of love. Because I want to see my friends succeed. I want to see the people that I love succeed, just not too much. (laughs) And that's difficult to admit. But the truth is, I want to see somebody benefit as long as they don't benefit more than me. And the love of God says, no, it's okay to love somebody and want them to succeed even more than you succeed. That's the love of God. See, that's what what Christ showed us. This is how how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. That he was willing to take on the unloveliness of each and every one of us so that we could experience the love of God, so that we could live. At the bottom line, love is about giving. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son an atoning sacrifice for our sin. To love somebody, to want the best for them, to be for them, is to be willing to give up my own agenda, my own rights, my own comfort level for the sake of somebody else's. Even to be willing to give up my reputation, my well-being for the benefit of somebody else. 
Lewis Smedes write, it might, writes, it, might be, it may be a very bad thing that I needed God to die for me, but it is a wonderful thing that God thinks I am worth dying for. See, the way that you learn this love, the way that you embrace this love, the, the way that you experience this kind of love, the way that you learn to give this kind of love is keep yourself near the cross. Because it was there that God fully expressed his love. And when we wander too far from that, we forget why we are loved and how we are loved. But when you stay near the cross and you remember that the only reason you are loved is because God chooses to love. And it's because it's his nature to love, not because I deserve his love. It can change your perspective on everybody else. It'll change your life. In fact, John goes on, he writes, If we love one another... God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. It begins to take root. It begins to grow and nurture. It begins to grow into our own lives and grow out from our lives to others. That's how it happens. And we don't do it by our own best efforts. We do it by relying on the grace of God. That's what he closes. He says, so now we know and rely on the love that God has for us. Because that's the one love that you will never lose. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.